we do survive this, and it looks like hopefully knock on wood that we will, Trump will have ultimately been good for the country in a sense that he will have bought all these divisions that were sort of hidden in plain sight to the surface. The racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the xenophobia. These things have always been here. These things have always been a part of American culture. Hey, welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Mark Baumgarten, the managing editor at Crosscut. And this week I'm talking to two men who, like the rest of us, have been glued to the coverage and the conversation around the election this week, um, which is still hanging in the balance as we record this conversation. Michael Medved is a talk radio host based here in Seattle, and Christopher Parker is a political science professor at the University of Washington. I should note that Chris is also on the board of CrossCut's parent organization, Cascade Public Media. CrossCut first invited both Chris and Michael to speak about the 2020 election way back in the summer of 2019, which just seems ridiculous. Um, It was at a live event. It was a lifetime ago. (laughs) And it's been a long campaign, right? And it's it just keeps getting longer as we speak. The only certainty right now is that Democrats will maintain control of the House, though it does appear likely that Republicans will keep control of the Senate and that Joe Biden will defeat and replace President Donald Trump. But nothing is certain. So for this conversation, I want to talk less about the outcome of the election and more about the electorate and what the results that we have so far tell us about the people who make up our democracy. So, Chris, Michael, welcome to Crosscut Talks. Thank you. Thank you. I I want to get perspectives from both of you because you come from different political spheres. And I'm just curious, Michael, what what kind of information have you been getting and what kind of engagement from other conservative folks in your life have you been getting uh, since the the ballots started to drop? It's a complicated question because um, I, I, uh, I, I have never been a supporter of Donald J. Trump. I didn't vote for him in 2016, and I it, it was fairly clear throughout his administration that I thought we would do better in this country with a different president. Um, and I obviously I still believe that, and I'm very gratified that the indications are we'll be getting a different president. the The indications to me was there there are Trump true believers uh, who who are so incredibly deeply invested in this individual that uh, saying anything against him, particularly at a moment like this where the presidency is hanging in the balance, uh, is considered a form of betrayal, apostasy, uh, heresy. It's, it's, um, uh, and I, I, I do think that assuming that Joe Biden becomes the 46th president of the United States, it's going to be very different. The, the cult of personality uh, for President Trump, which has emerged in the last days of the election campaign and since Election Day, I, uh, I, I think is very worrisome. And it's very worrisome in terms of a future for the Republican Party and a future for the conservative movement, 
which is really going to have to do a certain amount of self-examination and cleansing. Uh, Michael, I, I, I'm curious in particular about misinformation, because it seems that there's there's a good amount of misinformation out there that's driving um, Trump supporters to uh, to rally at ballot counting centers right now, um, you know, with with claims that it's a fraudulent vote. What are you what are you seeing in terms of misinformation? Well, some of uh, it's it's a wealth of misinformation and it's it's heartbreaking and it's frankly dangerous because there are many people who believe that uh, there was just massive voter fraud that President Trump won overwhelmingly in these disputed states, that uh, somehow there uh, are all these irregularities and they have to be uh, looked at. And my, I was looking at my email this morning, early this morning, and it was just all, why won't you stand with us to ensure honest elections in this country? And, and by the way, this is not to say that there, there are probably examples people could dig up of irregularities on both sides. But the, the overwhelming form of denial right now is just Trump won the election, that this is all fake news, that it's fake and phony media. And of course, there's particular rage at Fox News, which called Arizona uh, early on. And the idea that we continue to fight this out for several more weeks uh, and that uh, people on the conservative side of things are supposed to sign up for that fight as if that's uh, appropriate or helpful to the country, it's disturbing to me. Hmm. Chris, what has your experience been over the last few days watching as these results come in? So on election night, I sat with other political scientists and you know, we, we, we weren't really surprised, right, that, you know, things turned out the way it did, uh, you know, the first night. I mean, look, I mean, before this pandemic struck, I had predicted Trump was going to win, right? Just like I did in 2016, I knew he was going to win. You know, I knew that Trump was saying everything that the scared white folks wanted to hear. Nothing surprises me. People thought 2016 was an anomaly, like this is not who we are. No, this is precisely who we are and who we've always been. We think about all the things that have happened, especially to my folks, black folks, since the beginning. Every time we make progress, white people move the goalpost again. I wish I had, you know, Michael's uh, dignified disposition, but I just remain outraged. Even if Biden wins, and I certainly hope he does, America is not off of the hook because almost half of the country still voted for this guy. This guy put kids in cages. This guy fucked up this pandemic, right? Conspired with Russia, right? The guy got impeached for Christ's sake and still half of this country voted for him. Trump is pulling this party through his cult of personality further and further to the right. And there's a cliff not too far away. Michael was one of these Republicans whom I respect, right? Michael is in a, you know, grand old school of establishment Republicans, right? He's not a part of this crazy reactionary faction of the GOP. And I'm wondering where people like him are, right? This party's going down the tubes and we need two responsible parties in this country. If I can just jump in. There is a higher percentage of Americans who will be voting for a second term after four years of this. 
I, uh, I wrote a piece for USA Today and I said that look at all these rallies, they're all these nice, decent, sincere people who are yelling, four more years, four more years, four more years. You want four more years of this? Of the toxicity, of the anxiety, of, of the hatred, of the... And, and I do agree with you. I think some of uh, what has characterized the Republican Party has been, it's not dog whistles, it's bullhorns. It's very, very direct. And I think that a lot of people looking, looking around the country had the question about, we're 330 million people. And it comes down to a choice between Donald J. Trump and Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden's a good guy. I do. I'm proud to have voted for him. But really, our politics is effed up. And we need to try to do something to fix it. But wait, wait, wait. So, I, I need to follow up something real quick on what Michael just said. When he said these are decent people who are out there saying four more years. Michael, how can you say that these are decent people? Because I know some of them. Okay, okay, all right. They may be decent to you, but not decent to people like me, right? The first time you vote for Trump, it's like, okay, maybe something different, right? They didn't like Hillary, so this is something different. But after all the racism and, and sexism and all the kids in cages and nativism, how can you call these people decent? Because I, I define, and this is part of why I'm opposed to Trump, I, I, I define people as decent or indecent based upon their behavior, their uh, careers and personal lives and how they conduct themselves. And, and unfortunately, and you're right, there are people who sanction all kinds of indecency who themselves may be decent people and may mean well and are just deeply mistaken. Uh, look, I don't, I mean, t t there are all kinds of evil regimes uh, and I don't want to minimize the, the dysfunctional and um, destructive nature of the Trump regime. And by the way, one of my big concerns is destroying the Republican Party, because I agree with you. I think we need two viable parties. And the Trump Republican Party going forward, and I, I again, I wrote a column that was much discussed, and I, I still think I'm right. When Trump loses this time, He's not going to go gentle into that good night. He's going to begin the campaign right. for his Grover Cleveland return as the right. nominee of the party again in 2024. And I think it's important that some of these people who were chanting four more years understand this is a death sentence for the Republican Party and incredibly bad for the Republic. You both brought up a couple of points that I, that I wanted to get to. It's really about that Republican electorate. It's about the Trump voters and the fact that Trump has expanded the number of voters that have he's brought into the, the Republican fold. I mean, he has gotten more votes for president than any Republican candidate in our lifetime. But we didn't see that turnout in 2018, even though Trump was on the sidelines um, endorsing people pushing false narrative about migrant caravans to, to fight what became a blue wave. And I'm just curious, do these voters show up in 2022? And if Trump isn't the Republican nominee in 2024, do they show up? And this gets to the idea of even though Trump speaks to something that is very true in the makeup of our nation and our people, is he a political aberration or, or is he growing the party? Michael, what, what's your take on this? 
I think it's very clear he's not growing the party. In other words, the Republicans who won this last time were, were by and large, uh, pretty good people. Ben Sass won, and Ben Sass did not vote for President Trump last time, and he didn't vote for him this time. He's a senator from Nebraska. Susan Collins won, partially because in the state of Maine, she uh, was very clear she was not voting for Trump's re-election. And, and, and then you have examples of people who I used to have a lot more respect for, like Lindsey Graham, who uh, has just embraced Trump in a bear hug. Um, it's, uh, it, is, it is a complicated situation. I do not believe that uh, Trump maintaining control uh, ideologically, psychologically, of the Republican Party for the next four years is a given. I, I think it's going to be a struggle, and uh, I'm, I'm eager to try to play a part in it, because this, uh, Joe Biden said this election was a battle for the soul of America. Uh, that battle for the soul of the Republican Party is still coming forward, and there are other people who actually scare me because they're trying to preserve Trump or advance Trumpism even without Trump. What gives me some optimism is that apparently Mitch McConnell, who's going to continue as Senate Majority Leader, and pre the presumptive President Joe Biden are old friends. They know each other from the Senate. They've worked together. They both are capable of some level of bipartisanship. And maybe, just maybe, that can be a positive model to give uh, a new administration uh, a positive record in responding to some of the enormous challenges facing the American people, first up being dealing effectively with uh, this coronavirus. What is the Republican Party if you pull away the Trump supporters? Republicans are on the national level are on life support. Trump is the oxygen. How can you expect them to give that up? Um, I agree with Michael in that, in a sense that, and I agree with what you just said, Trump is really firing up the party. You know, basically, and I don't know if Michael will agree with me on that, I suspect he won't, that the Republican Party for the last 30 years has run on a platform of negative affect, that is to say fear, anger, and anxiety. And that does and that does a lot more to motivate people than positive affect. That is to say hope and mm -hmm. or pride. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the cognitive science literature or in the cognitive psychology literature, rather, that people respond more to perceived loss than gain. And the Republican Party has been running on, you know, this sense of they're losing their country. Right. For the last 30 years, at least 30 years, perhaps even 40 years. Right. They're losing something. They're losing their culture. Right. And so therefore they have to double down the fear and anxiety and anger because they feel like their country or their culture is is being encroached upon. Right. And they have to continue to fight back and to continue to deploy, you know, these you know, these tropes of people of color. Right. These tropes of of immigrants or at least immigrants south of the border. These tropes of, you know, women. Right. Of feminism. And how much of a threat these things are to the American way, quote unquote, American way of life to be a, considered a real American, quote unquote, real American as a Tea Party. And Sarah Palin so infamously referred to people last time around male, white, middle class or better off, native born, Christian, straight. 
If one cannot check all of those boxes, one is not considered a quote unquote real American. And people say, well, what about women? You know, you have white women, you know, that support this way of thinking. Well, yeah, but they're not exactly feminists either. And because of this sense of fear and anxiety that they feel like they're losing their country, they're losing their way of life. That is what's keeping the that's what's sustaining the Republican Party right now. This reactionary wing of the Republican Party has taken over because they're they're running on fear, anger and anxiety. And Republicans like Michael, they know better. They don't believe in this narrative, right? But they're not driven by fear, anger, and anxiety either. But, but here's here's the point, Christopher. And with all due respect, I think what you're delivering is not not a characterization, but a caricature. If you take a look at the Republicans who won this time, Republicans are now going to have an all-time high in terms of female representation. Uh, some of the big winners who won surprising congressional races were mainstream, relatively moderate Republican females who were not anti-feminist. Who, uh, and, and by the way, for a lot of us, the front-running candidate, the most likely candidate for 2024 is not Donald Trump. It's not somebody like Josh Hawley of Missouri. It's Nikki Haley, who is uh, Asian and uh, of Indian American ancestry, and she happens to be a female. And the the most exciting uh, Republican Senate candidate this time who came literally within inches, within 1% of unseating an incumbent Democratic uh, senator was John James in Michigan, who's a, uh, a like you, is a, a, an Army veteran, African-American. He was a, an officer, I believe he was a ranger, and uh, is now working in his family business and just ran a really positive terrific campaign with some distance from Trump in the state of Michigan and ran ahead of, of Trump. And see, that's one of the points. If you look across the country, uh, some of the uh, Republicans who were on the ballot in Senate races and uh, even gubernatorial races were ran ahead of Trump. And that was true last time, too. In other words, last time, if you look at the crucial states, Pennsylvania, Pat Toomey, who unfortunately is retiring from the Senate, but Pat Toomey, four years ago, ran ahead of Trump. Ron Johnson ran ahead of Trump in Wisconsin. And uh, the idea that Trump has energized the party, I think what he's done is he's moved the party over to a declining base. Because one thing about, like everybody talks about, white voters without college degrees. Uh, more and more people, and this is in every community across the country, are having the opportunity to go to college, which is great, terrific, more power to them. But uh, the idea of elderly people, white people, with without college education, if you're going to try to build your coalition on that base, what you're doing is you're you're building a coalition based on a base that is demographically declining. And that's not a good policy. So I, w- I want to transition over to talking about the the Democratic side of this. Um, because the fact is, is that there's not only a, a, a Trump supporter bump, there is an anti-Trump bump, right? There is a coalition that the Democratic Party is going to come out of this election with. Um, and it feels a bit fracturous. What does what does governance look like for a Democratic Party? And, you know, 
allowing that we don't know, like, most likely they won't have the Senate. It'll be Joe Biden trying to um, trying to guide the nation without having um, the ability to really pass major legislation. How does the Democratic Party deliver for this coalition? Wow, uh, that's a really interesting question. I hadn't really thought about it, frankly. Uh, if there, were, if this were a more resounding victory um, for uh, the Democrats, then I would say, even if we didn't get the Senate back for Democrats, right, I would say that you know that the progressive wing of the party wouldn't have much to stand on on which to stand. But because there was so much pushback, uh, you know, against Biden and so much support for Trump, and I and I think that there's that's going to provide the more progressive wing of the party. And of course, you know, the more virulently anti-Trump wing of the party, right? That's going to, that's really going to provide them a lot of grist with which to work. And so I think he's going to have his work cut out for him in that regard. Chris, I, I wanted to ask about Black Americans' role in this election and what it means for future politics of the Democratic Party in particular. The Black vote in the Rust Belt cities of the North are really pivotal in um, a potential Joe Biden win here, in particular Detroit and then Milwaukee as well. And maybe we might see it in Atlanta as well. So so there are these two factors happening right now. What One, where you're seeing some defection from the Democratic Party toward Trumpism, which is, I think, disturbing for Democrats. But then you're also seeing black voters really deliver for the party. So my question is, do you think that the Democratic Party will pay closer attention and deliver for black Americans in a way that they have not? That's a really good question. Um, So I would say that given the fact that, you know, you know, my people, black folks rescued uh, Biden's candidacy, yeah, and now you have Kamala Harris as hopefully vice president. Yeah, I think there should be a little more attention paid. Um, I mean, clearly. I mean, if you look at, you know, I, I think at the height of irony that, you know, the least, you know, in uh, American social and political life, you know, since we've been here, has to continue to rescue democracy time after time after time after time when given the opportunity. All right. So I want to uh, let us all get back to furiously just watching the results. I think that there's a drop at some time in the few next few minutes, but I have one final question for, for both of you. You know, Trump has been characterized as being a threat to American democracy, as a threat to um, the institutions of democracy. Right now, he and um, his supporters um, and his administration and uh, campaign are pushing unproven claims of voter fraud, trying to stop the count of uh, valid votes. It doesn't appear that they have any standing in any of these lawsuits, which they're also filing lawsuits. If we get through this election and Joe Biden wins the vote and takes the White House, has American democracy survived Trump or was Trump never really the threat that people were making him out to be? That's a great question. And I think, of course, it's a a little bit of both because many of us who really have allowed, and this is the whole country, frankly, we allowed Trump to get into our heads. I mean, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is uh, a day sometime in 2021 
where I don't have to think about this awful person every single day. I hate mm -hmm. thinking about Trump. I hate the psychological and mental space, I, what he's taken away from my life. I mean, a large part of this last four years is the era of Trump for me personally. And I hate it and I'm tired of it and I'm looking forward to some relief. But uh, was he an existential threat to American democracy? I think that that, that has been exaggerated. And what we're seeing in the election results is that, you know what, our institutions worked. He made war on the free press. That's something we haven't talked about yet, but I think it's, it's profoundly awful. This idea that he's critical of Fox News, right? Because they called Arizona uh, early uh, on election night. And Fox News isn't what it used to be. And if Roger Ailes were alive, he wouldn't be permitting this, Trump says at one of his rallies. Look, uh, the free press survived, and I think that there were moments of, uh, uh, of real dignity and achievement. Savannah Guthrie uh, went after him uh, more appropriately and enthusiastically, it seemed, in her town hall on M NBC. That was a good sign. And uh, all of this stuff, I think, dissipates when he's no longer a president of the United States. I certainly hope so. But uh, you may, the other side may be able to win the argument if the, the toxic level of the disputes that we have with the advancing of conspiracy theories, which I think represent a deadly threat to our body politic, that if that continues after Trump's departure from the White House, then uh, it, it may be true that the damage has been more profound than uh, many of us would like to recognize. Chris, uh, I'll give you final thoughts on this. So I think that, first of all, let me go on the record again, um, like I've said this in many other um, venues, that if we do survive this, and it looks like hopefully knock on wood that we will, Trump will have ultimately been good for the country in a sense that he will have bought all these divisions that were sort of hidden in plain sight to the surface. The racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the xenophobia, these things have always been here. These things have always been a part of American culture, you know, but they've always sort of kind of hidden in plain sight. And now he's brought all that to the surface. So for that, I am, I know it's going to sound crazy. I'm kind of thankful, right? Because then we can really have these discussions in full, right? So I'm happy about that. Now, it's about the damage to American institutions. Michael's right. I mean, he's, I think the institutions have survived, but I don't think they survived you know, absent any real sustained damage. And I think um, the question to me is how deep this sustained damage is going to be. And so let me give you a couple quick examples. There's this thing called called political support. Right. And at, at the surface level, you have what's called. Um, uh, wait, at the, okay, at the surface level, you have what's called specific support, which is basically political trust. That is to say trust in the people that are holding these offices, right? And then at a deeper level, there's something called diffuse support, which is about support and belief in and affection towards and attachment to the political system, right? Um, and the institutions writ large. Now, the top level of support, you know, that, that really functions and waxes and wanes according to whomever is in office, right? So right now, you know, you could have a bunch of the Republican base who has a lot of trust, Right. And because Trump is in office and they've been getting pretty much everything they want. Right. Um, and even at the deeper level. But but for people on the other side, 
you know, it works the opposite way, right? That there's not a whole lot of political trust or specific support, right? But there still should be this reservoir of diffuse support for these institutions writ large. Now, the problem is, is I think that has been damaged the deeper level, right, of diffuse support or political uh, alien, uh, excuse me, political allegiance, right, for the institutions writ large. That supposedly supposes shift a lot slower. That should be really more, a lot, re uh, really resistant to any shifts. The rule of law, freedom of the press, the idea that one's political adversary is not one's political enemy, and they, they are in fact legitimate. These are real serious issues. And I think he's done he's done a lot of harm to these institutions, whether or not it's irreparable harm. Only time will tell. All right. That's Christopher Parker and Michael Medved. Uh, you can get more information on Michael Medved's show at michaelmedved.com. Chris, you got anything to promote here? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can get more information um, at christophersebastianparker.com. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you both for coming on. Uh, talking about this election, uh, I look forward to um, more conversations in the future. Nice to be yeah. together, but may I say, many happy returns. Yes, absolutely. I will take. I will take that. <laughs> I will take you literally on that, Michael. <laughs> uh, amen. All right, guys. Bye, you guys. Thank, thank you Bye. so much. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Michael and Chris for coming on the show this week. This episode was engineered by Resty Bacall and produced by Jake Newman. You can subscribe to Crosscut Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more on the Crosscut Talks podcast, go to crosscut.com talks. And if you like the show, please review us. It really helps other people find us. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. Crosscut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Mark Baumgarten. We'll be back next week with another episode.